Everybody, it's good to see you tonight. Good evening, a fine evening to you here on Westcott Street. It's uh, great to see everybody. Glad you could make it. We're going to study the Bible tonight. Yeah, baby. Yeah. So, I want to encourage you to receive, hear, listen actively, listen, reflect on. See what God might say to you tonight. Let's pray. Father, thanks for. Your Holy Spirit, we thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you that you teach us. I pray that we'd have ears to hear, a heart that's open, a mind that's open to receive what you have for us tonight. I pray, God, that you would direct us toward you in our hearts and our minds tonight, that distractions would fall away, and that we would be able to listen, we'd be able to see, we'd be able to receive all that you have for us. So God, uh, thanks for being active. Thanks for speaking. Thanks for revealing. We ask God that you be glorified tonight for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. I got two amens on that. Boom! Which was two more than I had when I started. So that's good. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 12. If you need a Bible, you can find one on the table. And uh, it's, feel free to use it. That's why it's there. First Samuel chapter 12. While you're turning there, quick reminder, we have an interactive feature for Bible study. It's through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go to that web page. There's a button there. Toggle the button and leave us a voicemail. It could be something good God's doing. It could be a question about Bible study. It could be a comment about Bible study. It could be something God showed you. It could be a revelation. It could be you just saying hi or telling us where you're from, but we'd love to hear from you. So, again, www.speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com, slash Monday Night Bible Study. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. 1 Samuel 12, 17 and 18. Anyone like to read that? All right. Thanks for reading that. And so a question was asked right at the beginning of that. Was it Wheat Harvest Day? That's what he was saying. Is it Wheat Harvest Day? And they all knew it was Wheat Harvest Day because it was that time of year. And so Wheat Harvest Day normally occurred somewhere between mid-May and mid-June. That's when they would harvest the wheat was during that time frame. So it was about a month, so May 15th, June 15th, somewhere in there. And that would be the time. Now, uh, the reason he was bringing that up is because rain at that time was extremely rare. The Bible talks about the, and you may, this may somehow come back to your head or something, the former rain and the latter rain. You ever hear that in the Bible? Okay, well, the former rain and the latter rain occur around the wheat harvest day. So it's wheat harvest day, you know it's not raining. Because the, the rains occurred in the spring of the year or in the fall of the year, uh, and you could count on rains during those times. That's when it would rain. But during this time of year, it didn't, or it very rarely did. And uh, th- that was also confirmed years and years later when people were traveling through this part of the world. Uh, people would comment, and there's writings of people commenting that had been in this part of the world for months at a time and never seen any rain during this time. And so it's something that was not only known among the people that lived there, but also known among people that were visiting that this just was not the time of the year for rain. So when Samuel said that, 
this was important because what he's saying is, is this is not the season for rain. And he's pointing that out. But they would all know that. Or anybody from that part of the world would all know that. And so if any of them were reading First Samuel or the writings of the prophet Samuel, they, they would have known that information. I'm just giving it to you so you can follow along. All right? And so it's Wheat Harvest Day. Is it Wheat Harvest Day? I didn't know it was Wheat Harvest Day. I think it's Wheat Harvest Day. All right, it's good. It's Wheat Harvest Day, which means what? It's not a season for rain. It's not supposed to rain. All right? And so, and so the, the, the issue here is that <clears throat> it was clear that if it was going to rain and it was going to thunder, that it would be at the command and request of the prophet. That's what's important about that. Because what Samuel was saying was is that it doesn't rain and it doesn't thunder this time of year. But I'm going to call on and I'm going to ask God. And so there's going to be something that happens where God sends a rain and He sends the thunder in a time where it doesn't occur so that you can be sure that this is coming from God. And that's what Samuel was trying to tell them. Be sure in your heart, be sure in your mind that this is coming from God. Because these people had hard hearts. And so do we. And I want you to think about that for a second, that he had to point that out to them. They knew what time of year it was. But the tendency, the human tendency is, if something happens like a miracle, we just explain it away. Even if there's no explaining it away. Even if it's, if it's not plausible. Even if it's not something that ever happens. Even if people that have lived there for years have never seen anything like that happen. If it happens, well, we just explain it away. We just justify it. We say, oh, we ignore it. And so the prophet was making sure that they didn't do that because of the hardness of their hearts. And I want you to think about your heart, my heart, our hearts. How hard are they? Where God straight up does a miracle right in front of us and we either ignore it or we explain it away or we just plain old don't notice it. Alright? That's a hardness of heart. That is a symptom. That is a problem of a hardness of heart that we need to really look at in our own lives. That these people were facing this kind of a situation in their lives and God sent them graciously, gave them Samuel to give them a word about it so they would at least, at least take notice of the miracle that God was about to do. He was about to change the weather and He was about to do something that wasn't done. And He wanted them to notice. So He sent Samuel their way to say, Hey, hey, look, look, this is about to happen, don't miss it. Well, that doesn't happen all the time. In fact, you don't see that a lot in the Scriptures at all. God does miracles. He does. God does supernatural things. He does. God changes the course of, of natural events. He does. He does all of those things. But it's not usually announced ahead of time necessarily so that everybody will take notice. People just normally take notice unless they are particularly hardened in their hearts. And then they either ignore it, or just excuse it, or just make something else up. Now, I know I'm talking to Christians mostly here. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And that is a real problem for us. We should be seeing the supernatural. We should be expecting the supernatural. We should be living in the supernatural. We should be happy when the supernatural happens. We should rejoice in the supernatural. We should celebrate when supernatural stuff takes place around us. I mean, we should. But you know what's funny? is like sometimes we'll hear a testimony and, and somebody will give a testimony about something great that God did or a miracle that God did. You can barely get a golf clap out. That's not celebrating. At all. That's just a golf clap like, oh, we're supposed to clap right now. Did you even hear what they said? Did you even hear that? I mean, seriously? And, and whether it was a healing or whether it was something else or, or, or provision where money came out of nowhere or whatever it was, whatever that thing was, it's worthy of a little bit 
of recognition and a little bit of celebration. I mean, that's the least we could do, is be happy. Can we just be happy that God is active and moving and doing stuff around us? I think so. So it seems to me that, that that's something that we should be aware of enough in our lives so that we could at least recognize and celebrate when God busts in, when He breaks in, where something supernatural takes place right in our midst. Right in our midst. And it happens. In fact, it happens quite a bit around here. Um, I, I've never been, I mean, I've been a part of this church for a long time, but I've never been a part of a church before here where I could say the supernatural happens as much as it does here. I just haven't. I've been in churches where they try to point out things all the time to get people excited, but where the supernatural just occurs on a regular basis, where the supernatural just takes place as a normal flow of life, where the supernatural is just a part of really what we're doing and where we're going and all that. I've, I've never been anywhere like this, ever. And, and the fact that we don't even see it now, I think, is a problem. I never wanted to make a big deal out of it, like pointing it out and, and doing a little dance and, and singing number every time the supernatural takes place. I want to have an expectation of the supernatural. I really do. But I don't want to ignore it either. There's got to be a balance in there somewhere where we're not ignoring the supernatural and, but we're not necessarily having to manufacture excitement and pretend everything is supernatural either. There's enough of the real stuff to celebrate in our midst. We don't need to manufacture anything. We just need an expectation. Move in it. We're doing that part of it. We're allowing God to use us in the supernatural. Now, let's take a moment to recognize. Let's keep our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts open to recognize it and celebrate it every now and then. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. And and I was happy. There was one day I was giving a testimony. I was talking about uh, Trisha's dad. And, and you guys know his story. But, I mean, they put that guy on hospice. I mean, put him on hospice. They just took him off all his medication. He was on hospice at home waiting to die. And I had gone up the day that the hospice lady came. I drove down to where they live in the middle of nowhere in Harpersville, New York, with a U. Harpersville, New York, with a U. It is. It has a U. So I drove down there, and I was told when you pass the truck stop on the right, you got the next road that goes over the railroad tracks. That's directions to their house, okay? No offense, Tricia, if you're listening to this, but that's what happens. That is the direction to the house. So we went up up there. So it was the day I got there. They had just met with hospice in the morning. I drove out there in the afternoon, prayed with them, and God moved. And I know He moved. And the words were given, and prophecy was made, and the power of God was manifest, and the, the healing virtue of Jesus flowed into that guy. To the point, that grown man who I've not seen show much emotion in his life, Right? So, I got up left. They gave me a, they, uh, they, were, they were funny. They had the little mini sodas, like like Diet Cokes or whatever. So they gave me a few of the little mini ones as I was leaving. I was like, yes, all right, good. Got my car and left. Well, I don't know how long passed, you know, because I had been kind of just whatever. But a week passed, another week passed, whatever happened. And, uh, I, you know, Trisha texted me one day and said, yeah, my dad, um, he's not sure what's going on. He thought he was going to die, so he was kind of waiting it out, but it doesn't seem like he's going to die, so we're going to head back to the doctor, and uh, we're going to take care of some stuff and figure out what we're doing. I'm like, all right. So sure enough, he just didn't die. He was on hospice, but he didn't die. They took him off the medication. He still didn't die. He was supposed to die. To the point that he got frustrated that he wasn't dying and said, well, I might as well live then. And so he's living. He's been living ever since. And you know, that guy was in church. He came to church, I don't know, less than a month after he was on hospice. He was sitting in church. Right. 
And I'm like, you didn't have to come out here. He's like, I wanted to come out here. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Good. Good. Yeah. And and that's something that, you know, I told this story people kind of are excited about. It. So, you know, but that's something to celebrate. I don't know too many stories like that. Most of the time, like all the time, when people go on hospice, you know what happens, right? That's what hospice is for. It's so that the person can die in, in a situation where they're more comfortable or in a situation where, you know, they didn't want heroic measures done or whatever it is. And so we've, we've provided this for people, this means of death. And, and so that's what it's for. But when somebody on hospice just doesn't die, that's a miracle. Okay? Because the best doctors and the people that can make the expert opinions have said, you're going to die. And the best people that had the best medications that he was taking in order to live stopped giving them to him. They started giving him like the, the um, yeah, morphine. Yeah. But the morphine was making him sick. He just quit taking it. And he's still alive. That's a miracle. Because the doctors were wrong. They just were. Because doctors are wrong sometimes. The medication that they said was keeping him alive wasn't keeping him alive. And he's still alive. To me, that's powerful. That's powerful. And some of you have stories like that. Some of you have things like that that have happened. And we just want to celebrate with each other. Those kind of things. Because that's important. You know, every time we come back from Africa, we have stories about stuff. Miracles. You know, every time. And I'll stand up there and tell them. And sometimes I look out at people when I'm talking. Yeah, I mean, uh, last time we were there, or one time we were there, I don't know if it was last time. We were out in a village, and there was some little kid limping around. I mean, just gimping around dragging a leg and we were praying over people in the village and, and it was just some poor place you know the usual African village and as we prayed over people we prayed over the head of the families we prayed over the, the matriarch the patriarch usually start there move down out of that house and we're praying for the household and there's that little kid still standing there and I'm like hey come here and we sat him on the bench and as we set him up on a bench, man, you could see one leg was longer than the other leg for whatever reason. I mean, visibly, like, longer, longer. Not just, oh, it's a little bit. I wasn't measuring it, but it was, you know, you could see it with the naked eye. And you couldn't pull it straight or anything. It was just messed up. And so we prayed over this little kid, and his other leg, as we were praying, just grew and met the other leg. You couldn't even pull it into that place before. And it just, just grew down. Kid got up and ran off. That's what little kids do. You know, I told that story and everybody just looked at me like, yeah, so, yeah, whatever. No, it's not whatever. Yeah, that's miracle stuff. That is miracle stuff. And there's always something. I'm just talking about things that I personally was part of or that I saw, you know. And I'd go on and on and on, but... What I'm getting at is that we need to celebrate. And you can't be so hard-hearted, so cold-hearted, that you can't celebrate a miracle. And if you are, thaw it out. Thaw it out. Pray to God to thaw it out. Because who wants to walk around like that? Who wants to walk around with that kind of a hard heart where you can't even celebrate a miracle. Can't do it. Well, Samuel, he's among a bunch of people who had hard hearts, cold hearts. And so he points it out to him. He says, all right, 
here's what's going to happen. Let me point this out to you. Sweet harvest day, meaning doesn't rain, same time of year for it, but there's going to be a huge rainstorm. There's going to be thunder. It's going to be terrible, and I want you to know something God's doing. In other words, he tells them ahead of time. Chip away at the hard heart. Thaw it out. Here it comes. Big rainstorm. Here it comes. All right? And then the thunder and the rain hit. A sudden storm came upon them. Now, I come from a tradition. I've told you guys this before growing up, where we had this weird thing about thunderstorms when I was a little kid. And it wasn't just my family. Everybody. Everybody where I lived had a weird thing about thunderstorms. To the point that if we were, wherever you were, doesn't matter where you were. If you're at home, you all gathered in one room, you turned the lights off and you sat in the dark. Nobody talked. If you're at school, the teacher turned the lights off in the room and everybody sat there quiet. Nobody talked. In a school, all right? When I was at daycare, Lottie's daycare, Thunderstorm coming up. Here, oh, we're all inside. We're all in the room. Lights are off. Everybody's sitting in silence. Every time. That's how I grew up. That's how I grew up. Weird, right? That's weird. I, I'm, I'm not even justifying it. I'm telling you. It's where I grew up. It's what happened when it was thunder and lightning. That's what happened. Every time. Yep. And, and God help you if you got caught in a car. All right, I mean, there's nowhere to run. You're in a car. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I remember if I was in a car and it was thunder and lightning, I was just scared. I have no idea what happened. I don't know. I leave that to the adults. I have no idea what decisions were made and how that worked. But you see, thunder and rain... It was a sudden storm that come up. It was at the request of the prophet. God did it. The request of the prophet. And the people were naturally struck by it. In other words, they were startled. Startled. And, and, and maybe, you know, that little ritual that we used to have because what they would say to us is to sit quietly and watch God's work. That's what they would tell us. Public school, daycare, at home. Same story. Just, just be quiet and honor God's work. Watch God's work. And that's what we're told. And so whether this was a response to things in the Bible that talk about rain or, or talk about thunderstorms or whatever it was... There was a preconditioning on all those kids. All of us grew up with the same thing. That we would sit and we would be quiet and we would, whatever you want to call it. I don't know that it was startling. We were definitely struck by it. Paying attention to it, aware of it, and understanding this was the work of God. That's what we were told. Most of us believed it. And so this hard-hearted people, this cold-hearted people, again, Samuel warned them, here's what's going to happen. It happened. So a storm came up suddenly at a time when storms don't come up. It was at his word that the storm came up. Boom. The people were startled. They panicked. They were struck by it. And, and so here it was at Samuel's word. Why? Why do you think? <coughs> Why did this happen? Just because they wanted a king. But what was he trying to tell them? And why did he use this method? That's what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. So he needed to get their attention. You following that part of it? He wanted to get their attention. Because his word to them was, you should have never asked for a king. You shouldn't have done it. And what better display, what better moment is there 
as what was happening here, for them to see it plainly, that they had made a mistake. Because you had the prophet Samuel, who didn't walk around like a king, he dressed like everybody else. He was with everybody else. He lived with everybody else. He worshipped with everybody else. I mean, he was respected. He had a lot of ascribed authority, but he didn't have the trappings of a king because he wasn't a king. He was a judge. He was a prophet. And so they had Samuel who called on God and God sent this sudden storm. You see the power of God just released in a moment at the request of this man. A faithful watchman. Because he's giving him a warning. He's like, this is what you've done in the hardness and the coldness of your hearts. This is what you've done. And he wanted to let him know. And that's what he did. He let him know. And it was through a powerful display. It was through a, 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 just a shocking, startling display. But they could see it. And it's important for us to see our own evil. And the only time you ever really see your own evil is around truth. How else do you see your evil? Unless you see some kind of truth. There has to be a, a contrast to it. You can live in evil for a long time without ever thinking it's evil. You can live in deception for a long time without understanding that you're deceived. You can live a long time thinking one thing without ever recognizing that it's harmful to you until you see something different. Because, I mean, how many people I know, they live a certain way because they don't know any better or they don't know anything different. Even if it's harmful to them, even if it's something that is destroying their lives, they continue to live in a certain pattern or a certain way because they don't know anything different. And so there's an obligation, I believe, that Samuel took upon himself to show them something else, to show them truth, so they could understand the error of their way. To understand they didn't have to live that way. To understand that there was something they didn't have to do. And I think, you know, once you show somebody that, if they go back to it and they're still going to do it, well, that's on them. If somebody shows you the truth, and you see the truth clearly, and yet you decide you want to live in your deception, who's that on? You. It's on you. You see, Samuel is a faithful watchman. In other words, what does that mean? He's watching them. He's watching out for the enemy. He's watching the city. And so he said to him, he's like, all right, here's the truth. Boom, thunder, lightning, rain, whatever it was, hailing, whatever it was, it was enough to scare them and for them to see that God was real and that He spoke and that He worked at what Samuel had said. They understood those two things. God's big, powerful, and real, and Samuel's His man. They got both those things. And so the act of understanding or seeing your own evil, the relief we have for that is called repentance. And that means to do something else. That's all. Just do something else. That's the relief. In other words, nowhere in the Bible does God just show people, oh, you're a creep, without giving them a way to change that. That doesn't occur. Those two things occur together. All right, guys, oh, you're, you're mean. Well, then you have a way to change that. Uh, you're a jerk. Yeah, okay, well, God, you have a way to change that. You're rebellious. All right, well, God, do you have a way to repent? you have a way to change? God just doesn't show you things to call you a name. God doesn't show you things to make you feel bad about yourself. That's what little kids do on the playground. That's not what the God of the universe does in our lives. And if you were brought up thinking that that's the way God is and He hasn't graduated from kindergarten yet in your book. And that's not the God we serve. That simplistic, childish view of God in adults needs to end. Because that is not who we serve. It never has been. And so whoever came up with those childish views, whoever came up with those childish ways of seeing Him, whoever came up with those ridiculous ideas about who He is, that, that He's what? You're a jerk. Nah, 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 nah. What? 
Well, you might be a jerk. Maybe that's the truth. Well, He gives you an opportunity to change that. Right? There's redemption in it. There's redemption in revelation. There's redemption in truth. That's why truth is something that we really seek after. That's why Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. There's redemption in truth. That's it's important. And so truth is something we look for. Something is, is, it's something that we seek after. Why? Because there's redemption. There's something better as, as we receive truth. It's a good thing. It's not something to hide from. It's not something to, to cower from. It's something to seek and receive and be changed by. You see, repenting occurs in truth because it shows us our foolishness, our wickedness, and our folly. Now, what had these people specifically done? They had rejected the government of God. What was the government of God? Israel was a theocracy. That's what they were. Technically, they were a theocracy, meaning God was in charge. He was the one running Israel. They weren't a democracy. In other words, it wasn't the people running it. They weren't, a, uh, they, they, they weren't some kind of monarchy. It wasn't a king running it. It was a theocracy. God was running it. How did He choose to run it? He would send them judges when they needed them. And the judges would judge the people, help the people, lead the people. And otherwise, He was speaking, He was showing, He was demonstrating, He was bringing people through. He'd send them prophets, judges. He'd send the people that they needed in order to live their lives in freedom, in liberty. That's what He wanted for them. And that was His government. That's what He had for them. But instead of a government, a theocracy, instead of what He had chosen for them, what, they, what did they clamor after? They clamored after a king. They clamored after a man. And in doing so, they chose the arm of flesh over the arm of God. And they gave up power for weakness. That's what they did. They gave up power for weakness. And so there it was. That's what happened. That's what happened. And so Samuel, what he was doing through this process, he's pointing out this folly. He's pointing out to them this foolishness and wickedness. It was wicked what they did. And, and he was telling them, you've traded, you know, you've traded the, the, the best. you traded the best. It's like you, you traded your Lamborghini, alright, for what? A jalopy. A jalopy, alright. We'll go with jalopy so I don't offend anybody. Good. Yeah, thank you. Because I know I was about to offend somebody. <laughs> yeah, I know I was. But that's why they were trading. And he wanted to show them that. Because what happened was, is that they were, this was encouraging something in them. It was re-encouraging something in them. And I want to encourage this in you tonight. You know, without a rain cloud opening up inside our building, we get enough water in here as it is. All right, we don't need that. Without lightning striking our building, without thunder shaking our building right now. I want to encourage you so, towards something that he was encouraging toward. That was great respect. And there's great respect toward two. Great respect toward the Lord, number one. And great respect toward God's prophet. Those are the two things that, that were being encouraged through all of this. It's like, first of all, you need to respect God. And you need to respect His government over your life. You need to respect how He does things. You need to respect the way that He manifests Himself and the way that He shows Himself. You need to respect the way that He speaks to you and honor that in your life. That the God of the universe, He speaks to you. You. Me. He chooses and He takes the time and He makes the effort and He speaks to us. And, and that's important for us to, to understand. And so understanding that and really taking the time to honor that in our life and respect that in our life is important. And so I believe that's something Sam is encouraging in the people is that they take that respect and they take their respect that, uh, for the Lord. Now, because the real question here, this is a question being asked, can a king thunder with the voice of God? 
No. He can't. He cannot. He cannot. You know, can a prince command such forces that the prophet commanded that day? No. He can't. And so the folly of their faith in the arm of flesh, and that was folly. It was. It was foolishness. It needed to be clear to them so that they could stop and do something different. And so I encourage you toward that respect tonight. I do. I encourage you toward that kind of great respect for the Lord. His voice. What He does. I want to encourage you toward respect for God's people, the, the, the prophets and those that speak for Him. And those that, that, that God uses in our midst. And, and again, remember who Samuel was. He wasn't looking for that. He wasn't, he wasn't somebody that went around and, and tried to get people to honor him or anything else. It wasn't. Like I said, he looked the same. He sounded the same. He went to the same festivals. He worshipped with the people. He was just a part. He lived in the same housing and the same places the people lived. I mean, he was in no way, shape, or form anything other than who they were. Except for he heard from God. Except for there were miracles that were done. Except for he prophesied and he would speak and, and the things that he said came to pass. Not one of his words fell to the ground and people saw that and they understood that. And it was an ascribed authority that he had earned. But he wasn't seeking. And there's a big difference there. Because those are the people that you tend to ignore, that we tend to ignore. You know, we, we pay attention to the loud people. We pay attention to the people who refer to themselves in the third person. We pay attention to the people who get on the TV or the radio or some kind of media and tell us how great they are. We do. But what about the person that doesn't do that? What about the person that actually is just living it out and getting it done? What about the person who's not commanding any kind of attention toward themselves? It's on us. It's on us to honor them. It's on us to honor our God. Somebody told me a long time ago, and I, I believe this, and I always think about this when it's time to do something for God. And that's this, that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And uh, the guy that told me that, it was a long time ago, I was just a kid. But he told me the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. I mean, he'll come, he'll be there. And you can ask him. And he'll do whatever it is you're asking. I mean, he's, he's that kind of a guy, but he's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force himself into your situation. He's not going to force himself into your church service. He's not going to force himself into your kinship. He's not going to force himself into your Bible study. But if you welcome him, he'll show up. If you ask him and you give him opportunity, he'll move. And he'll show himself in power. But a lot of that has to do with your hospitality. Same in your own life. You want to see God manifest through your life? Maybe you need to be a little more hospitable. Maybe you need to be a little more open. Maybe you need to ask God, say, all right, well, use me tonight. And yield yourself and see what might happen. And if you're waiting for Him to make you do something, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because that's just not who He is. And so I guess in some ways, maybe that's why it's easy to ignore Him. He's not forcing himself into your attention all the time. Maybe that's why it's easy to just disregard him because he's not, you know, jumping up and down in front of you or being the loudest person in the room or, or you know, yelling about himself in the third person or whatever it is people do these days in order to get our attention. Maybe he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And maybe that's why it's easy to ignore him or easy to take him for granted. But what you see here is an act of mercy on Samuel's part in order to bring attention or bring back attention to the God of the universe 
for these people that were hard-hearted, for these people that were cold-hearted, these people that had ignored him for long enough. So the prophet said, here's what's going to happen, and it did. And for at least a moment, they were startled enough to turn to him, to God, and to repent. And, and to make a decision to do something else and not keep doing the same things they'd been doing before. Maybe to see the truth in their lives. Maybe to see what, what they'd done was foolishness, was folly. Maybe. And maybe to make a different decision of where they're going to put their trust. You know, whatever you fashion a God of, whatever it is, whatever you fashion a God of, it will always deceive you. Okay? I don't care what it's made of. If it's made of flesh, it'll deceive you. If it's made of some other material, it'll deceive you. Whatever it is, whatever you decide you're going to fashion a God out of with your own hands, that thing will deceive you because you've given it the power to do so. The second thing I'll say is that any creature, any creature, is in their place, their own place, is good. Any creature. People, animals. If we're in our place, we're doing what we're supposed to do, we're good. Alright, we're just being who we're supposed to be, we're good. But any time a creature takes the place of God in any way, shape, or form, it becomes a, they become a vain thing. And that's every time. If you look at people, and if you study any history, and you look at people that are elevated to whatever position it is, and I mean, I don't care what society, I don't care what culture it's in, but anytime anybody becomes a god, all right, if you understand what I'm saying by that, they become a vain thing. How do you not? Even in the Bible, there's that story of, it's one of the Herods, I believe, and he's sitting on a throne and he has these glorious robes on and the people began to say of him, oh, he's a god. He's so magnificent and glorious in his robes. And you know that guy got eaten by worms from the inside out? Yeah. Because that's a vain thing. And the problem with him, and the reason he was judged so harshly by the worms, is because he knew better. He was a Jewish man, been raised in the faith, and accepted the praise of man as if he were a god. That guy got eaten by worms from the inside. Yeah. Yucky. Yucky. Well, you all know I knew a guy. I met a guy that was being eaten by worms from the inside. Yeah, while he was alive. I met him. He's a Christian guy. Alexandria, Virginia is where he was from. He pastored a church of, I don't know, three or 4,000 people. And I had a vision. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I had a vision. I was, at a, I was a kid, you know, like early 20s, which was a kid to me now. But I was a kid... And I was at a um, I was at a, a missions convention at a church. I was just raising money for college ministry, and this guy he was older, and he was one of the keynote speakers. And so we had time of prayer. We were getting started, and uh, I had the audacity because I didn't know any better. I seriously didn't know any better. I had the audacity. I, I went and I prayed over a couple of them and prophesied over them, and he was one of them. And I had a word for him which couldn't have been any clearer. I said to him, I said, I got this weird picture for you. I'm going to share it. I just feel like I'm supposed to, but it's the weird. You have worms inside of you in your stomach, and they're eating your stomach. They're like in you. They're either your stomach, your intestines, or in your gut somewhere, and they're just eating you in your gut. And, uh, and so I, I just feel like I'm supposed to share that. And I said, there can be healing for you today. We can pray that those worms are they die and bring some healing and and he got really tense 
and he kind of put his hand up, so I stopped. And uh, nice guy. He uh, he took me out to lunch. He he did a bunch of things. You know, bought me stuff for June, and he was a super nice guy. Brought gifts, you know, for me and everything. But he could not, could not accept the fact that God had spoken that over him. And he refused to believe in the word of prophecy. And he died of worms, eating it from the inside out. Nope. Nope. And he wouldn't hear any different either. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's a Christian man. Powerful Christian man as far as you know, being a, a church and a person of influence and all that. Yeah. He couldn't receive it. He wouldn't receive it. I tried. I gave him a couple shots, but he just would not let me pray for him. It was so bad. He smelled so bad. He, he couldn't even... He had to rent two or three hotel rooms because of the stench that he made in the hotel room would get into the rooms that were adjacent to it. And so he would rent three hotel rooms at a time and it was just so he could stay in the middle one. Or stay on the end and rent the one beside it. Yeah. He was rotten inside. Yep. I, and the only reason I'm telling you that is that, you know, it seemed to me that God was trying to get his attention, right? Yeah. He did. And I wish I had a better ending to the story, but I don't. But I'm going to encourage you maybe toward a better ending to your story. <laughs> All right? And this is what I'm getting at tonight, is that I really believe that God's just trying to get our attention. He's just trying to get our attention. And, and if He gets your attention tonight, good. Good. And I hope He does. I hope He gets your attention the same way the prophet Samuel got those people's attention. How? He sent a rainstorm and, and thunder and... It was a sudden thing when time wasn't supposed to happen. The people were startled by it. They were uh, struck by it. And it led them to a place where they said, you know what, I need to change. I've trusted in the arm of flesh instead of the arm of God. I need to change. And so I want to encourage you toward that tonight. I want to encourage you toward some change. Yeah. Right? So what, so what this tells us, and thank you for that, what it's telling us is what's our response all right, and and that's a great story, in that maybe it's something simple like just talking to somebody. Maybe it's something simple sharing the love of God with somebody. Maybe it's something simple like encouraging somebody, giving a word of encouragement to somebody that needs to hear it. You know, we've all got those opportunities every single day. How does God want to use you? Where's the supernatural going to intersect with your life? You don't know. I don't know. But let's at least be open to it. If you're so hard-hearted, so cold-hearted, that you can't just allow the Holy Spirit to use you, you can't see a miracle when it happens right in front of you, you can't see an opportunity when God turns a light on it, or leads you toward it, or brings a person in your path. You're so hard-hearted, so, so self-consumed that we can't even respond? Sure. Maybe it's good that God wakes us up every now and then. Maybe it's good that God shakes us up every now and then. Maybe it's good that we come into a place where we can say, I need to do things differently. All right? I think it's good. I think it's good to see the truth sometimes. I think it's good to hear the truth sometimes. And I think that those are the times that we, we, God gives us the opportunity to change. And we may be at one of those intersections right now. So let's take a moment. And I just want to encourage you to uh, just see if you're at one of those places where it's time to change. And if it is, make your decisions. Make your statements to God. Make your decisions. Ask for His help. He's here. He's here by His Holy Spirit. Again, He's a gentleman. Ask Him in to help you out. Ask Him in. Holy Spirit, I thank You that You're here tonight. And I ask that You would... And I do ask You that You would speak into our hearts. That You would bring revelation to us. You would begin to highlight some things in our life. I pray for your truth, the spirit of truth, 
to be in this place and upon us tonight. And I pray that that truth, that truth would begin to do a work of freedom in us. Begin to set us free from ways of thinking that are, that are paralyzing us. Begin to set us free from ways of thinking that are hindering us and hindering the work of Your Spirit through us. Begin to set us free from lies that have, have caused us to, to stop or paralyzed us from really moving into what You have for us. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit your Holy Spirit would really begin to do a work of freedom and liberty in us. That our hearts, our hard hearts would be softened tonight. Our cold hearts would be warmed up. I pray, God, that we would have a greater awareness of You, a greater awareness of what you're doing around us, a greater awareness of opportunities, a greater awareness of when the supernatural intersects into our lives, a greater awareness, God, that we can celebrate when we see something awesome. Yeah, God, we can rejoice when we see you moving and we see you doing things in people's lives. That we can be ministers of hope. We can be ministers, God, of, uh, of, of just uh, encouragement. Ministers of life of love, of peace. Do something, God. Do something in us. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Do something. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for getting our attention. Thanks for speaking. Thanks for leading us toward change. Yeah, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. <laughs>